Welcome to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about how to plan and execute an unforgettable event that will dazzle your guests and generate more income for your organization. From fundraising and securing trendy auction items to event production and logistics, get the best tips and advice from seasoned fundraising and event professionals who have been in your shoes. Welcome to the first episode of the Elevate Your Event podcast. Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. We're we're thrilled, energized, ready to go. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time today introducing ourselves and talking about what you can expect from the podcast. So let's just jump right in. So this is Jeff. Jeff, you are the CEO and founder of Handbid, which is what this podcast is powered by. And... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I've been in uh, the fundraising charity space for probably about 15 years, but my entire career has been mostly in what I would call technical product development. So uh, software development background, engineering background, and then really spent a large amount of my career building uh, solutions that are mostly cloud-based, you know, for different types of enterprise companies and media companies and stuff. And you know, as we kind of got into the fundraising space for a charity that we funded, we started to kind of apply some of our technical expertise and background into building solutions for that charity. And then that's where Handbit came from. Yeah, and we're going to get into Handbit and all of that. But let's get to know you first. And, you know, you have a story behind why Handbit was started. And uh, that also gave you a lot of experience in events as well. It did. You know, we, um, so my wife and I, Carrie, we have four kids. Our first one was born in 2000. Our second child, Abby, was born in 2002. And it was not a typical birth. So when she was born, there was clearly something wrong, and we weren't sure what. So we spent a week trying to figure that out with a variety of doctors. She ended up at Children's Hospital in Denver. And from there, we got a genetic diagnosis of Prader-Willi syndrome, which No one's ever heard of Prader-Willi syndrome unless you know somebody who has a kid with Prader-Willi syndrome. So for us, we didn't know anybody who had it, so we had to do a lot of research at the time. And um, through that process, we were able to kind of get connected to a local group of people and families here who also had the disorder. We're still friends with all of them today. And then we all set up a charity together, and we got that going in around 2004 timeframe. And so when you set up a charity... And you're like, we have all these great ambitions of what we're going to be able to do. And we're going to help families in the Rocky Mountain region who are impacted by Prader-Willi syndrome. And, you know, so we had um, a lot of thoughts around research and family support and whatnot. But all of those require funds. And so when you need to go out there and raise funds for a charity, we didn't know what to do. So we're like, okay, so what do you do when you need to raise funds for a charity? We're like, I think we just need to host a fundraiser. So we had an annual Kentucky Derby party that we ran every year pretty popular event it was at our house and we actually converted that in 2005 into a fundraiser and um interesting because a whole bunch of people that used to come to that event who weren't really interested in it being a fundraiser left but a whole new set of people came in as well so that first year we had an auction Um, my wife had some experience with charity auctions because she was running the school auctions for our son's preschool and we had been to a couple of the elementary school auctions that our kids were at the elementary school that our kids were at. So we had some experience with how those should work. And then we had, we had a couple of other things that we did, you know, some drawings and whatnot. And I think the first year 
we raised seven thousand dollars now we were also fortunate that um in, in a certain way clint hurdle he was the manager of the rockies at the time and his daughter actually also had prader willie syndrome oh, wow yeah and she was born a week after abby so that was completely wow bizarre and i'll tell you why because it's such a rare disorder right just to have two kids in the state born a week apart is definitely not typical so Clint was super, super generous, and of course, obviously, the Rockies were super generous as well. So that kind of helped, you know, in terms of you know getting enough auction items and some support around that. So that event continued to grow over the years, and um, we continued to improve it in a variety of ways. But at some point, and I don't remember exactly what time this was, but you know, we had about two hundred and fifty to three hundred people coming to our house, and I think our neighbors were ready to kill us. <laughs> So we needed to move it to a real venue. So we moved it to um, a place over at DU uh, called the Cable Center when we ran our event there. And we did that for a few years, and it got bigger. And then we moved it to a different venue, Infinity Park, and it continued to grow. And over this period of time that we're doing this, uh, we just noticed that the guest experience we felt was getting worse and worse. And so um, you know, we didn't have any formal event fundraising experience or whatever, but you learn just by doing mm-hmm. And, you know, we ran into a variety of issues and we would go tackle those issues. And, you know, at the same time in 2009, I'd started up a software development company that was building apps for media companies. And so mobile was kind of the new thing. And we knew and I, I personally knew that mobile was disrupting a variety of industries. And I saw how it could be a game changer with fundraising as well. So it was 2010 and I was talking to my wife and I said, I, I really do think we need to figure out how to move our, you know, event somehow onto mobile devices, whether it's ticketing and check-in or auctions or whatever. And so, you know, of course, she was like, you know, no, <laughs> you know, let's just kind of stick with what we're doing. Well, in 2010, the, the Derby event was over. We were still at the Cable Center. And I look over there at the end of the event, and there's this really long line kind of wrapped around um, the kind of the, the entrance to the venue where people were checking out. And at the head of that line was my wife shuffling papers and walking around frantically trying to figure out what was going on and thinking to myself, I don't know if I should go over there or not. You know, I could probably stay out of this and that'd probably be a good idea. But I went over and I said, hey, what's going on? And she said, it's a total disaster. I'll tell you later. And so, okay. So I look over there and she's really kind of manually constructing invoices at this point off of bid sheets. And I was like, okay, well, this obviously is a bit of a mess. So what had happened was um, she had built a tool because uh, she's a software developer as well. So she had built a little tool where you could enter in like an item number and a bidder number and then the amount that they want it for. So you could say bidder 106 one item 201 for $2,000 or whatever. And then you would enter that in. And then this thing would calculate out and generate all the invoices. Well, we had volunteers who were entering in that bidder 201 won item 101 for $2,000. So there was a lot of those mistakes. And then there was also just somewhere the volunteer just never realized that there was a back sheet to the bid. Or maybe there were two or three pages. And so they were reading numbers off the bottom of the first bid sheet oh. or whatever. So anyway, it was a it was a mess all around. So... I told her, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're going to automate this thing next year. 
We're going to build an app where people can bid from their phones, and we're going to generate the invoices electronically. And, of course, she, at this point, was like, I don't want to talk about it. But about a month or two after the event was over, I think she was ready to talk about it. Okay, we've got to do something better than what we just did. I got to say, there's so many events, and I've been involved in the event industry, too. And there's so many times when you say, it's a disaster, I'll tell you about it later. And then you just have that, like, trauma that you just can't talk about it for a certain number of time after. I have plenty of events like that. Yeah. Well, we get two types of people that, you know, at Handbid that call us, right? One of them will be the person who calls us on Sunday morning, right? Saying Mm -hmm. we need to talk because their event was a mess the night before. And then there's the people who call you about two or three months later and say, okay, I I, I went on vacation. (laughs) I I, I went through some therapy and now I'm ready to talk about how can I fix this for next year. Went through therapy. Therapy is a must for anyone in the events industry. And there's a variety of ways to do therapy. (laughs) Trust me. We won't get into all of those right now. But, you know, for us, I mean, we're the type of company or, or we're the type of group here at PWSA that is not afraid to try to implement technology, right? And so um, I don't think I had her fully convinced that we should, you know, automate this entire thing, but I had her definitely convinced that we needed to make some form of a change. So I was – the software development company I'm running, we have a – group of really talented developers we had a little bit of downtime and so i gave them some instructions on kind of hey i want you to build an app where people can bid in this auction and of course the first question coming back from these millennials was what's a silent auction i don't know what that is (laughs) i was like okay so let's explain how this all works and so they started building this app so we got enough to a prototype stage i showed it to my business partner and he was like this is really cool i said yeah i said but we got we got a couple other projects we need to dive into so we'll we're just going to table this for now and I'll figure out exactly whether or not this is the solution we really want to bring to market at our next event or not. So January of 2011 rolls around. My business partner says to me, he says, Hey, um, what'd you do with that bidding app? And I said, well, you know, it, it kind of mostly works, but it's not really done. And he said, well, can you have it done by May? And I said, why? He goes, cause I sold it. You guys are doing the natural history, history museums, dino ball in LA it's a million dollar event. Don't screw it up. <laughs> so your first event wasn't even your own event. No, it was not. Well, my first event became my event because <laughs> I said to myself, okay, well, this is at the end of May and I am not going to launch a brand new product at that event. I don't mind experimenting on my own friends and my own donors. So that's where we're going right. to start. Okay. Okay. So you ended up getting to test it out first. Yes. Well, our event was three weeks before that one. So not only could we test it out, we could test it out and then obviously address any problems that we ran into. So we finished it, and I remember um, Easter of – so that would have been roughly April of 2011. You know, we had the entire family over. I had the software developer over who was mostly building this app, and they're all bidding on it, and he's fixing bugs and bidding issues on the fly and we're kind of putting this all together and then I remember my mother-in-law standing up at the end of the table and announcing that I was going to absolutely ruin this charity and ruin this event if we launched this stuff because we're about two weeks out from the event I was like yeah okay opposition to new idea that's not that's not uncommon in the charity space so (laughs) we're just going to go ahead and we're just going to work right through that so we kept working on it and then my developer moved in to our to our house for about two weeks and finished it. Wow. And so the night before the event, I, sh- I can reveal all this now because this is 10 years ago and our software is way better. But <laughs> <laughs> the night before the event, we're still working out issues. I mean, it for the most part works. We have an iPhone app. 
we have an iPad app, and then we have our back-end s- solution. We never got the Android app done. And keep in mind that back then, about 17 to 18% of the people that were going to walk into that event had a smartphone. That was basically mm-hmm. the, the penetration of smartphones at the time. So we knew the iPad was going to be pretty critical. It's like an electronic bidding kiosk, and we knew most of the people would be bidding off of that. versus, And, and, and that would replace, theoretically, the bid sheet. Okay, unless someone was ready to download our iPhone app and and go around and bid from their phone, which we ultimately felt like that's that's where everything would would end up eventually, right in the mm-hmm. space. So um, we're trying to get it done. It's like one or two in the morning, and it's still not fully working, but it's it's pretty close. I told my developer, I said, "Go to bed. We don't have to be there until three o'clock tomorrow. Get some sleep, and then get up in the morning and you know kind of work through the remaining issues." And so. This is when my wife was like, that's it. I'm printing out bid sheets. I said, no, you're not. You're not printing out bid sheets. We are launching this thing. So um, I got up in the morning. I get onto Skype because there was no Slack at the time. It's all Skype. Let's get on to Skype, and there he, there's Taylor, and he's online. He stayed up all night, and he said, I got it working. I'll meet you at the venue at, th- at 2 o'clock. I said, okay. So we had a whole bunch of people that came in from the academy, um, and these were – Air Force Academy cadets volunteering to kind of be bid helpers and, and anything else we asked them to do at the event. So about 10 or 12 of them. So they roll in. We assembled all these iPads from board members. So we had about 10 or 12 iPads stacked up and, you know, we're longing into them and putting people's passcodes on the back because, you know, they lock and that kind of stuff. So we're getting everybody's passcodes and getting all the iPads set up, downloading the app. And here's Taylor giving them a, you know, an entire demo of how this thing works and a little training session. He's like, okay, so you're going to log into the iPad and then it's going to crash. But that's okay. <laughs> okay. Just open it up again. It'll work. Okay. So it did. And, you know, I'll kind of jump ahead. I mean, we doubled our auction revenue at this event. Checkout, which the year before was the complete disaster, but still on a typical, I would say a typical paper auction where you have 150 to 160 items. Checkout takes, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes. Checkout took 10 minutes. So the auction closed, the invoices were correctly generated, people walked up to us, we looked them up online, we could print their receipt out if they wanted it, we could process their credit card right there on the fly. I mean, it was awesome, okay? And we had a lot of people that came up to us and said, that was the best bidding experience and and I would say overall just gale experience I've ever had, right? It was fun. I didn't feel like I had to constantly get up from my chair and walk mm-hmm. over to my bid sheets. You know, you, you lose out on, um, what I think in a good way, you lose out on some of the, the tension that happens around those classic silent auction areas where people, you know, guard bid sheets and stand in front of them or intimidate you. Or the classic, which I've you don't believe this is true that I've seen, people steal them. They hide them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like literally at our event, like there was a popular item and then the bid sheet was missing and miraculously mm-hmm. reappeared. There like, were 30 seconds left. Yes, with Let a minute guess. left, right, <laughs> before the event was over, right? Yeah. All that stuff kind of goes away. Human error, is that a one, is, it, is that bidder one, two, three, or seven, two, three? I can't tell. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. read people's handwriting. So that part was super nice. But just the fact that we have an event, it was a derby event. People want to watch a horse race. They want to go outside with their kids. You know, they had bouncy castles and everything else. And so now they could stay connected to everything. Absolutely. And I think that really did help. Yeah. And I, th- I think, too, that's what I was thinking is that 
we go to these events and we connect with these organizations for that connection and for that relationship. And if you're constantly getting up from your table and you're always thinking about your bid sheets like I have been in in the past, you lose out on, you know, what if you and I are networking or, or having a meaningful conversation? I've always got one eye on mm-hmm. on that auction item and am I winning? And, and so right. having having that capability actually allows you to stay connected to the event and to the people that you're yeah. with. And um, so the aftermath of it that was interesting was a little resistance, okay? Despite the fact we double our auction revenue, and we, we literally turn check-in from an hour into 10 minutes, you still got to deal with people, right? And so here it comes from the, you know, from our board members. Well, you know, such and such and such and such didn't like it. You know, um, they felt like it wasn't as fun because they're the bid sheet people. Right? They wanted to kind of stand in front of the bid sheets or they got outbid at the last minute and they didn't like that, right? And so we, we had a good conversation as a board, but it was a frank one where we're like, we're not going back. People will get on board. We just have to let people kind of get through their adjustment period, and then they're on, they're on board. And so those people that complained that one year, the following year, were on board, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because I think they walked back into our event the following year, and they said, oh, I think they are serious about this. They are actually going to stick with this, so I, I might as well get on board. You know, and for all the events, I've gone to hundreds upon hundreds of events over the 10 years at Hampton. You still see those people, Right. You know, you'll walk around the bidding area, and this guy will be like, this is the worst experience I ever had. I hate technology. This is no fun. And, you know, and you can't be dissuaded by those types of people. You kind of just have to let their process go through. They will ultimately get on board. And so our bidders did as well. I mean, obviously, they've been bidding on hand bid. That is the inaugural hand bid event, you know. And so for our Kentucky Derby fundraiser, which is now morphing into a different fundraiser this fall, um, you know, we've been doing it for 14 years, 15 years. I mean, it's it's crazy that it's been that long. And you talk about, this is all over the website and, and the story of Handbid, just how much the revenue from the auction grew just by going mobile. Can you talk a little bit about the events that you've seen and, and how they've grown just by eliminating some of the things that you just talked about? Yeah, because... Um, so we had to put together a thesis that we had to take in front of our board. I mean, we don't, we're not a, autonomous, right? I mean, Jeff Porter doesn't get to decide what PWSA does, right? I mean, we had to have a conversation about it. We just luckily have a board that's willing to try things. So we went in front of them and said, we have a couple of things we want to prove. One, that people will use this technology, right? And when I'm not talking about just, you know, young people, like anybody walking into this event can use it. Right. So that's people Mm -hmm. in their 70s, people in their 60s, people in their 20s or 30s. Right. The other thing is, is that we want to prove that if I allow people to stay connected to the auction, that they will in turn stay connected. Right. So they will stay engaged and they will continue to bid. And then the third thing we wanted to prove out is if I change certain elements about how the auction works, like extending the amount of time that the auctions open or changing the, the level of these bid increments, that we can drive higher revenue. And so how do you think about it that way? Well, in your classic, you know, kind of paper auction gala, you know, re- say registrations at six, people walk in the door, you've got the auction area open. Uh, maybe people float in through seven o'clock, you give them 30 minutes or so to bid, and then you're dinging the glasses, everybody's mm-hmm. in the ballroom at 7.30, 7.45. You've got a presentation, you've got a live auction. A lot of people have left the silent auction, it's outside. 
it's not in the ballroom they're listening to your presentation you close everything sometimes auctioneers liked to have the silent auction close first because they didn't want people distracted by it while they're up on stage so maybe you close your silent auction at 8 30 when the live auctioneer comes on stage how much time have you given people to bid in your auction maybe an hour right right so for us we said what we're going to do is we're going to open our auction early and we're going to encourage our clients to do the same so if your event saturday night open your auction on monday Get people connected to it. Get them bidding throughout the week. You know, now when they walk in the door, they're not trying to figure out what to do. They're already kind of connected to everything, right? So that was one element of it. The other, and not specifically at our first event because we were still writing code at 3 o'clock in the morning, but but in all the other ones we did after that, that was absolutely the case that we pushed. Um, the other one, though, is if you think about how bidding works, right, in a paper bid auction – I'm not going to put low bid increments in place. And so what you people had a they had a transitional struggle with this, like just a mindset struggle of I'm going to go from paper bidding, I'm going to go to mobile bidding, but I'm not really going to change how I structure my auction. I have my rules of thumb and I'm going to stick with them and that's not always ideal. So what people would do in a paper auction is they would say, "Okay, the item's worth say $1,000. I'm going to start the bidding at 400 or 300." And I'm going to put a $100 bid increment on it. Okay. Well, the problem is if I come to that, you know, item and I look at it and I say, okay, $300, I'll bid on that. Okay. Well, now the next bid's $400. Do I really want to go up to $400? I'm not really ready to do that yet. Right? Mm -hmm. So what you see is you don't see a lot of bidding happening. Okay. And what you have to do in bidding to kind of get people, you know, past the point of what does it cost to I want to win and to make it more of a competition is – you got to give them a lower entry point. So we were pushing people to lower their starting bids and also significantly lower their bid increments. Well, you don't do that on paper because I'm not in a ballroom. I'm not going to get up from my table. I'm not going to walk out the door to up my bid by five bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just not worth it to me. Well, on a phone, I can do that in two seconds, right? So by lowering the bid increments, we actually saw more bidding happening. And then once somebody's been outbid three or four or five times, what you start to observe then is that it's not about how much money they're spending anymore. You hear that complaint at the end when they check out, but it's really about, <laughs> I don't want to lose. Now at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in it. <laughs> I'm engaged. Yes. And so we have witnessed that throughout. So what we do at Handbit a lot of times is we'll walk into people who are making that transition, and we have to help them get comfortable with making these types of changes mm-hmm. and saying, trust us, right? What we track is we track bids per active bidder is what we call it. I want to see how much your bidders are bidding. You can check. You can track bids per item and all that other kind of stuff. That's interesting. But really for us, it's how engaged are your donors or your, or your bidders in your auction because that will tell me how well you're ultimately going to do. You know, and if you give them enough time to bid and you do these other changes, you will see significant revenue increases. And we've seen it. You know, so obviously at our event, we, we doubled. Not everybody is going to double their auction revenue, but we have seen people, you know, 50% increases, 75% increases. I've seen people more than double their auction revenue. So I've seen it all wow. over the place. Really depending on, you know, what kind of changes have you made from what you were doing before to what you're doing now. Right, right. So let's get into the Elevate Your Event podcast. Mm -hmm. What can people expect from us on a weekly basis? What are they going to be hearing every week on the show? We're going to get into a lot of what we've seen. You know, I kind of go back to that progressive insurance thing where it's like, 
we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing mm-hmm. or two. We have seen a thing or two. And we've seen some really good stuff. We really have. And we've been so impressed with so many of our customers who have done such an amazing job of putting together an awesome event. And then we've seen things that we would say, mm, not so good. Okay. Um, in a, in it, besides that spectrum of like amazing events to events that have problems or maybe aren't that organized, they're just other things that you have to, you know, that we want to share with you around how you manage an event, how you manage your problems, right? I have never been to an event that had zero problems, right? Mm-hmm. But you learn how you're going to deal with certain things, what's important, what's not. We're going to talk about, you know, some of the things we've seen around how to, you know, when we say elevate your event, how to streamline it, how to make the guest experience better, some of the things that we would not recommend you do, some of the things we we want you to do in what we call, you know, being a little bit more flexible with, you know, maybe letting go of some of the traditions you had because the way things work today are a little bit different. So we have a lot to share. Event fundraising, the types of fundraisers we've seen that work, how to run a better golf tournament, how to run a better gala, why events are still important. A lot of charities feel like, you know, the events are the starting point, but then from there, I'm going to evolve into just maybe major gifts and donor development. And to me, those aren't mutually exclusive, right? You know, you have to be able to do both of those over time, but you don't want to get rid of some of the things that you're going to get from events, which are a great entry point for growing your donor base. So we're going to talk about those things as well. We're going to bring on some, uh, some pretty cool guests, you know, some guests that have been in the event space for a long time. that are going to share some of their experiences and some of their best practices as well. Well, and you've touched on a lot of things just in this short conversation that I think event uh, planners and executive directors and, and those event teams, it's always on their mind. Guests and, and donors or board members who are resistant to change, the timing of your event, how your event is set up, how to keep your guests engaged, things like that. And so I think those are all things that, that we'll be talking about. And you've built a, a fantastic team at Handbid. We talked about the what it looked like in 2010. 10, 2011, and now you have a team of 20 people working for Handvid, mm-hmm. somewhere around there, and uh, they're all event professionals and former fundraisers and have been in this space as well, and so we're going to be bringing a lot of the team in to talk about if best and worst events, maybe maybe a horror story or two in there. We all have stories to share and I think people in the event space we all love to sit around and talk about let me tell you let me tell you what happened at my event in 2018 (laughs) I think we all have sort of those war wounds that we like to show off every now and then so we'll be bringing some people in from the team we'll be bringing some some outside people in what are you most excited about I I think our ability to kind of share what's worked best for us and you know the ability to share that with the entire community whether a Hammond client or not Right. I mean, our goal and the reason why we started the company was to help charities raise more money, ultimately. Okay, and so we want to see people do that. I think what's unique about us, and and, and I, I'm there. There's a small group of us, you know, out there in the space who did come from this space, who do know how to run an event, and so our software is built around that knowledge, right? Um, because software typically automates a process, and so it is our process, and it's how we do things, and we will share some of that through here, but. You know, at the same time, there's so many solutions out there. But when you think about, hey, I want to go, I'm going to go buy auction software. I'm going to go buy fundraising software. Who built it? And do they really know or do they have any experience running the type of event that you plan to run? Um, Because I think that's going to be important. 
you know, when you think about what you're going to go out there and put into place and, and your guests are going to use it. Right. And so there's other things that you have to factor into that. So, you know, while we're going to stick mostly on the event side of things, you know, we're going to dive into the guest experience a lot. And that guest experience also includes um, the type of technology you're asking them to use and what that technology is going to do with their private information and what's, you know, the importance of credit card security and data privacy and security and all that other kind of stuff mm -hmm. and accessibility too. So, um, you know, all of those things to us wrap into what kind of experience are we creating for our guests that we think is going to be memorable, but memorable in a good way, right? We're right. not calling them two weeks later saying, uh, I think your data was compromised or something like that. So, <laughs> so that stuff is important also. That but would fit into a horror story. <laughs> it would. But, you know, what we do at Hambid on Tuesdays, we talk about what happened at events over the weekend, mm -hmm. especially for anybody who's involved with our staff that went. And we talk about what worked well and what didn't work well. And sometimes that can impact what we want to do with our software. But a lot of times it impacts, you know, what we want to be telling clients down the road and in the future. And so we'll talk about that also because we do a lot less compromise today than we did 10 years ago. And, you know, when you're a small company and your clients are like, I want to do it this way, you know, you say, oh, okay, I wouldn't do it that way, but if that's what you want, we'll do it that way. And then it's a mess. And now we just don't do as much of that anymore. You know, we say, no, you're not going to do it that way. And then we explain to you why that's a bad idea. And, and so we continue to have these conversations with clients today, and we're going to go through those on this podcast also. Well, I'm excited. I know that the team is excited. We're, we've got some good things planned. Make sure you tune in every week, the Elevate Your Event podcast. You'll be able to find us on YouTube or anywhere that podcasts can be downloaded. Any parting thoughts? No, it sounds awesome. I can't wait for the next one. We're going to really dive in. Sounds great. Sounds great.